very much, Robin, for being authentic. Appreciate that so much. You ever been out of your comfort zone? You ever felt uncomfortable before? Yeah, it's, it's like she said, like the song says, you know, it's uncomfortable, but you feel what you wouldn't ordinarily feel. God accomplishes a purpose in everything that he does. Never forget that. And you know, Robin, you talked about that Then we talked about in um, Psalm 23, 4 this morning for the New Living. I think it was even there. Uh, I used that translation. And where it's said in there, you know, even though I go through the darkest valley, you know, I will fear no danger for you are with me. And that's exactly what you're talking about. He's faithful and he's always with us. Um, something that I had in the sermon this morning um, that we didn't get to. Well, actually we got to it, but I didn't use it. I should be a little clearer there. But that very scripture, Psalm 23, 4 this morning, um, I told you a story. Actually, I taught it on Wednesday night, and then I shared it on a Sunday morning. I, it's one of those times I said, this needs to be taught on Sunday morning, and we did exactly that. It was a story from March the 14th, 2018. So what, 15 months ago? Um, it was a story of Bob and Kathy Arnett and Bob, uh, Barbara and Jeff Singerman four missionaries in the Congo um, in Africa. And on that day, um, the driver was doing something, a professional driver and a believer got somehow distracted. They think he ran off the road, the vehicle flipped, and Bob and Kathy were killed. Do you remember that story? And Jeff and Barbara, Barbara was injured significantly, um, and then um, Jeff was injured more severely. Um, In fact... I really didn't even, I kept up on the emails. I didn't understand just how severe his arm was injured. Uh, By all rights, he should have lost his arm. And I'm not sure how many surgeries he went through. Probably 15 would not be an understatement. He stayed in South Africa for probably eight months and finally was well enough and could come home. And there he got here and uh, a lot of what they did over there, not that it was wrong, but now they had better techniques here, and they undid a lot of the, uh, the surgeries that he had there and had them redone here. Um, Bob, Jeff and Barbara, again, as I told you, were here in 2006, and they they're kind of led us on the path of West Africa. We're in Africa today largely because of their testimony of what God was doing. They were in West Africa at that time and then moved to the Congo. Um, they, like so many other missionaries, when the mission board made the decision to downsize uh, and offered an early retirement to senior missionaries, they were obviously more than able to accept that offer. It, in some degrees, it's a very lucrative offer. Um, they were offered an increase in their uh, retirement, their separation, their severance package, and yet they chose to stay. When so many left, Barbara and Jeff chose to stay on the mission field. And you have to think, if they had taken that offer, they would not have been in, in the Congo and had that accident, but they chose to stay. And again, whenever, you know, all missionaries, or at least I think, are spiritual heroes, and then there, there are some that just go way beyond even that. And Jeff and Barbara and, Barbara and Bob and Kathy were those kind of people. They were just so committed to the work of the Lord. Well, so time passes. They were at the Southern Baptist Convention, and because of the way things turned out, we didn't hear this, but they were um, at the IMB booth, and they did a radio broadcast telling their story about all that they had gone through. And so what an incredible story. What I can't get over is their passion for missions. Um, From the get-go, as soon as we were able to get reports on um, Kathy and our, yeah, Kathy and Barbara and Jeff, 
then one thing kept coming out. We want to go back to the field. We want to go back to the field. We want to go back to the field. And their passion, guys, for missions is just incredible. Well, yesterday I received this email, and I want to share it with you. We are very excited to share with you that Jeff and I will be leaving the USA June, um, June the 26, 2019, to return to our ministry. Thank you so much for all your diligent prayers and gracious encouragement during this difficult journey we have been on. We will leave in the evening of the 26th and arrive in Africa on the 27th. Just five days after our Africa return, we will head to East Africa and then to West Africa for meetings. Jeff's arm and hand have made significant progress in the past weeks. He has been able to use his right hand for driving, lifting, carrying, and cutting. And I'm not sure what the cutting means. Um, God is so gracious. While we attended the Southern Baptist Convention in Birmingham, we were interviewed at the IMB display. If you'd like to view it, you can see it at IMB Facebook, and I'd encourage you to do that. Since we are caught up in a sudden rush to unplug our lives from America, shop and pack for Africa, we will leave this message, we will make this message brief. We praise God for our relationship through Christ with each of you. Pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it as it is with you. Second Thessalonians three one. In Christ, Barbara and Jeff. Is that not an incredible story? Now keep in mind his arm was just mutilated. And even though he can do those things, it is so far from normal. He still wears a pressure cast and all those things. And yet the one desire, Tyler, is to go back to Africa and to serve the Lord. Isn't that incredible? Now, now, that is great for missionaries, but that is what I was trying to say this morning when we were talking about um, the last part of verse 28 and the first part of verse 29, where Jesus was saying, I do only what he tells me to do. I say what he tells me to say. And I live believing that through the darkest valley, he will be with me. That's great for African missionaries, but that is the mandate for us also today. So, so we should have that mentality right here in America. And I thank God for missionaries like Jeff and Barbara who are so enamored with the kingdom of God that nothing could keep them away. Now, we want to go back this morning. I know we've been doing James, and I had that prepared. Um, but I really felt like I wanted to go back and at least catch the tail end of this message. Because, again... On our message this morning, we talked a lot about, of course, who Christ was, but also who we should be um, in Him. And He really ties in something I think that's very important for us. Because, again, the challenges in America are great. The challenges in America are great. And I want to tell you this. I, I, don't, I'm, I'm, I don't mean to be anywhere unkind tonight, and I don't mean to be judgmental in any sense of the word, But we really need to save our breath and our whinings and complainings and start learning how to pray for our country again. We need to spend more time in prayer and less time whining and complaining. Yes, there is plenty to whine and complain about. I'm as frustrated as anybody with with the state of Illinois. And honestly, in so many ways, the, the direction of our country culturally is going. I'm as frustrated as anybody. And we just need to make sure that that frustration doesn't deprive us of the right and power that we have to be change makers in our culture today. That's the big deal. And the change maker is found in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And as we as we progress 
through the rest of this year, as we're looking at back to school, as we're looking at the, the fall coming up with Judgment House, the various ministries, every Sunday. I was so pleased this morning. Um, I, I've been just a hair frustrated with the attendance sometimes in summer. I know vacation all that. But I get frustrated when it goes below a certain number. It seems like, oh, you know. But I'm going to tell you, this morning there were numerous visitors here. Numerous visitors here. One lady said, this is my first time here. I didn't want to come, come alone, so I dragged my grandson. He was grown with me. And I said, well, you just go right in there and make yourself at home. And we're very glad you're here. I saw another couple did not know who they were. And uh, probably freaked them out because I gave them a hug. So anyway, so uh, we've just been blessed. God is doing something um, in our midst, and we're very grateful for that. But I want to talk tonight. I want to pick up in verse number 30 of John chapter 8. That incredibly difficult chapter. And Jesus touches on something that I really think we need to pay attention to, okay? And it's been the bane, um, it's been the bane of, of Christianity in America is this simple, easy believism. Now, understand, uh, and I want you to understand this very clearly, is that salvation is free. I mean, it was free for us. It cost Jesus everything. I want you to know I fully understand that. That when it says whosoever will may come, when it says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that, that, the, uh, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, I believe more passionately than you know all of those things. But, through the years and through the decades, in this culture, we have seen a, an easy believism, a, a Christ with no cost, um, a Christ with no change, a Christ with no obligation. And I think part of the problem is, is and keep in mind, I'm, not, I'm doing my best not to judge because I, I, I don't have any right to do that, but... Part of the problem is there are so many people in churches around America who, who prayed a prayer one day but did not own what they prayed. Um, and consequently, our churches are often filled with folks um, around America now, around America, that's filled with folks that may well not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then secondly, who may not be um, grounded and discipled like they should be in Christ. And Christ addresses this, okay? And starting in verse number 30 of John chapter 8. Let's see what he says. Now, and I don't understand this. I'm going to tell you right now. You do, do you remember from this morning what I told you about how, how this chapter starts out with the amazing story of grace with the woman taking an adultery and then something that Jesus said sparked this great conflict with the Pharisees. I mean, they were ready to go to blows. I mean, it was just really just intense, okay? Um, again, like I said this morning, um, at one point they call him a racial slur. You Samaritan demon, you Samaritan devil cannot imagine the racial slur that would compare to that today. It was just a huge insult. And Jesus did not even answer it. Jesus did not, He didn't even acknowledge that they said that. But in the end, in, in verse 59, they were trying to stone him. They, they were picking up the rocks. They're going to stone him. That was such a difficult place to be. Well, in the midst of that intense discussion, something happens. And here's what the Bible says. In verse number 30, it says, Then many who heard him... Now, we're not sure the size of the crowd. We don't know how big the crowd is that had gathered there. Um, we know about 10, 12, 15 people weren't there because they dropped their rocks and left when he said, You without sin cast the first stone. So they walked away. But apparently there were a whole lot of people who did not leave. Okay, And in the midst of all this contention... 
The Bible says that many who heard him say these things believed in him. Now, whoa, that, that at first it seems so exciting. Oh my goodness, that in the midst of all this conflict, okay, some people believed in Jesus. And my first thought was, of course, you know, oh wow, that's just so incredible. How in the midst of conflict, that, that rebirth can occur. But then we have something that happens that maybe shows a different side to this coin. And it may show the problem in America of this thing I call easy believism. Jesus, when that statement is made, that many believed in him, okay? And by the way, I, I, need, I wrote two things down you probably need to hear. You know, you can believe and not own it. You can believe and not own it, okay? You can say, I believe in Jesus and not own it, okay? James said in 2.19, the half-brother of Jesus said in James 2.19, you believe in God, Dwayne Taylor translation, you believe in God, that's great, but the devils believe and tremble, okay? So just because someone says, I believe in Jesus does not mean they own Jesus as Savior, okay? Keep that in mind, keep that in thought. So when, when, he, when these people had apparently said or acknowledged somehow that they believed Jesus, Jesus comes along and says this. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples, in other words, you're truly a follower of me if you remain faithful in my teaching." So even in this, this field of conflict, all right, we see Jesus making something very clear. You say you believe in me. However, if you're going to truly be a follower of me, then you've got to remain faithful in or to my teachings. So connected with a commitment to Christ, a, a commitment to follow Christ is a commitment to, to follow what he teaches. Now, keep in mind, I want you to understand this so clear. This has nothing to do with appeasement of God. It has nothing to do with pleasing God. It's just a hallmark. It's a birthmark of truly being born again. That if we have trusted Christ, you know, Jesus said this morning, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And here he says, if you're really one of my followers, you will be faithful, remain faithful to my teachings. You know, a lot of people make commitments to Christ, and I put that word in quotes, commitments to Christ for so very many different reasons. Um, it's, and again, I want to hear it clear, it's more than a prayer. It's more than a prayer. I remember, I grew up in that generation where I'd go, I went to the altar one time, you know, at seven years old, and the one thing I do remember is saying, well, just pray this prayer. No one explained what that prayer meant, just pray this prayer, and ta-da, okay? It's so much more than that. But people make decisions for Christ, commitments to Christ, end quotes again, for various reasons. Sometimes it's an emotional moment. A pastor will get up and tell some kind of an emotional story. There'll be something. I very well remember Brady Weldon um, in his latter years of ministry. I loved the early Brady. The later Brady uh, turned into something I just I couldn't follow. But I remember over in that building as he was teaching on Timothy, uh, Timaeus. The son of Timaeus, Timothy, and uh, I'm assuming Barnabas, and and then how how he had his sound guy back there, you know, you know the music was intensifying, the drums were coming up, and he's on the ground going, you know, oh son of Timothy, and it's all tied up in emotion, and not surprisingly, so many people were moved to go forward. I pray that was a genuine thing, but there was no doubt that night that Brady chose to use emotion as a tool, and that's a dangerous thing. 
So some people make decisions based on an emotional appeal. Some pray a prayer in desperation. Uh, I have people come in my office in so many different situations, and and you know you know I I need Jesus, I need Jesus, and we talk about what that means and what they really need is I need a rescue from this situation. I'm not interested so much in a commitment to follow Jesus as much as I want out of this mess that I've made. Uh, my famous cleanup on aisle four. You know, we make this terrible mess in our lives and we hear on the intercons at the grocery store, clean up on aisle four. And it's amazing how many people will, will quote, seek Jesus when there's a mess to be cleaned up. And guess what happens when the mess is cleaned up? Yeah, they're cleaned up too. They're gone. Okay? Um, a conscious, you know, a commitment to follow Christ is a conscious decision. In other words, you need to understand what you're doing. We've got to take time. When we lead people to Jesus, and Donnie, I know you do this so well, you know, we need to make sure we help people understand what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus is not a fire escape. He's not a genie in a bottle. And he's not a vending machine where we put our spiritual quarter in and get a candy bar. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He's the King of the world. He died for the sins of man. And men and women who are willing to believe that, put their faith and trust, and turn from their sins, choosing to follow Him, have the opportunity to be born again. That is so important. You don't, you're going to hear it next week, and you hear it regularly from this preacher. Man, if you don't have repentance involved in your salvation, you didn't get saved. Repentance is an integral part of salvation. So if you ever have the opportunity to lead someone to Christ, you make sure you take the time and help them understand what it means to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Help them to understand what it means, what Jesus did, and what it means to turn from their sin and choose to follow Him. Take the time and lead them right. Because they need to have that hallmark of a faithful following after Christ. You know and I know. You want to go get the book? I'm not talking about the book of life. I'm talking about the book of membership. You know, we still, a lot of times, a lot of, well, we try to get the names in the book. Aren't you glad God's not that way? Oh, gee, I thought I'd put your name in the book. <laughs> you know, but, but we try to be faithful in our membership. But how many people we could go back through? Go back through. And people who made a commitment and were baptized... Stuck around a few months. Sometimes they like the preacher. Sometimes they like the music. Sometimes they like the fellowship. But whatever it is that draws them eventually will wear off. And we see them no more. The difference is when Jesus said, If you're truly my disciples, you remain faithful to my teachings. There is, again, I'm not judging anybody. I'm not trying to say, you know, if you didn't or if they didn't, you know, you're not to judge. I'm just saying what Jesus says, that when there's a commitment for Christ... That is genuine. There's a continuance in the followings of the teachings of Christ. A disciple is one who follows. A disciple is one who follows. Now, to teach this, you know, again, this is not a... You don't have to look very far at all. That's what's funny. You don't have to look far in the New Testament to see what a big teaching this is. What did Jesus say? If you want to follow me, you've got to deny self, take up your cross... And follow me. You don't... You Listen, listen, listen. You don't find... Even this morning, the woman taking adultery. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. You don't see this pray a prayer and go live like the devil. That's an American invention. But we need to be biblical. And make sure people understand. Well, Jesus teaches this in 
incredible parable uh, in Matthew chapter 13 that deals with this topic, okay? And directly imp- impacts what we're teaching tonight from John chapter 8. So in Matthew 13, you know, Jesus tells this parable, and in 13, uh, 18 through 19, he explains it all. He explains the parable, okay? Here's how it goes. You'll remember this. So he says, listen to the parable of the sower. Okay, so we have a story where a sower goes out and sows seed. Some of it lands on hard ground. Some of it lands on rocky ground. Some of it gets thrown among the thorns. And some of it falls on fertile soil. Okay, so Jesus now comes and explains that. Here's what he says. So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it. See, isn't that important? Gosh, I just realized how well this explains what I just said. So, anyone who hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Now again, so often that happens when we don't take time to explain what being a Christian means. What it means to follow Christ. And so, a seed might be planted. Were they born? No. They simply heard the word. It did not get implanted in their heart. And as Jesus says it, the evil one comes and snatches that seed away. And they wander away. Okay? This is the one sown along the path, on the hard ground. Now this, and we're going to see this in John chapter 8. This is the one when, when John said, Jesus said, many who heard him saying these things believed in him. Okay? These are the ones. Now look what Matthew thirteen twenty says. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, okay? But he has no root and is short-lived. And when distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now, I'll be very candid. As the Bible teacher tonight, I want you to understand those two people were never born again. Those two were never born again. The last two, I believe, are the first two heard the word and did not own it. Did not own it. So we have a rocky ground, okay? There's a little bit of soil in the rocky ground. The seed falls in there. The ground may even be moist. The, the uh, seed spring, springs up, okay? But quickly, the sun comes out and dries up that moisture. And what happens to the plant? It withers away. It withers away. So many people who come to Christ, in quotes, who pray that prayer, in quotes, who we lead to pray a prayer, in quotes, who we don't explain it to, plainly not in quotes, okay? Um, That emotional moment, um, that desperation. Listen, this is what happens to them. And it's on us. We have got to be viable soul winners who truly explain what it means to be born again. Amen to us. Does it make any sense? It's so easy not to... Listen, listen, listen. Been doing this for 37 years. I know this story. I know this story. It's so important that we explain what it means to follow Christ. So these folks in John 8.30, this is exactly what happens. In that emotional moment, may they decide to side with the underdog. May they saw Jesus as the underdog. May they saw the Pharisees as the bad guys and Jesus as the good guys. And they side with him. But they don't stay. And we're going to see that in just a moment. Okay? And then you've got... Surely it must be an epidemic in America. You've got Matthew 13, 22. Now the one sown among the thorns... 
This is the one who hears the word, and I believe this person generally gets born again, who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of of wealth choke the word and becomes unfruitful. I believe this person is genuinely born again, but the concerns and worries of the world keeps them from being fruitful. And let me tell you something, folks. It concerns me. I know I'm a nobody preacher in Southern Illinois, but it concerns me as a pastor that so many of our believers, undiscipled and not very committed, live this kind of life. They allow the world and the allurement of the world to literally choke out the joy of Christ in their lives. We pray, we pray that we would not be that way. But then finally, we get to the good one. In verse 23, it says this, But the one sown on the good ground, this is the one who hears and and understands, knows exactly what he's doing, understands the word, who does produce fruit and yield. Sometimes a hundred, sometimes sixty, and sometimes thirty, what was sown. So it so clearly teaches, this is God's desire, that that he has children, he has followers, he has Christ followers, who are grounded in the word of God and understand the commitment and will follow him. Now listen, listen, that's the hope of America. Churches that are concerned about themselves, who look constantly inward. Listen, churches like that will not spread the kingdom of God. We have got to make sure that we are committed followers of Jesus Christ in the building and outside the building. If America is going to experience revival and reverse judgment, it's going to take churches filled with believers that the seed has fallen on good ground. And they understand what they've done and are committed to what they've done. That sol- Listen, that solves the other God issues. You know, that, that solves the, the, the sports God issue. That, that solves the materialistic issue. That solves the boat and car issue. When you understand what you've done and you're a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ, the other gods lose their allurement. And rather, we choose the one true God, Jesus Christ. You know, this person... Looks like what happens in First Peter, chapter one, verse six and seven. Peter says, "You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials. You, that's coming. I said something Wednesday night that I'm sure came out backwards, but I want to say it again so I can get it hopefully not backwards. I quoted first off. I attribute a quote to Joe Biden that came from Bernie Sanders. And he was criticizing President Trump. And the last thing he said about President Trump was, was that he was a religious bigot. If you think that Bernie Sanders will accuse the president of being a religious bigot, what do you think he thinks of you? What do you think he thinks of you? If, I don't know what term to use, the left or whatever term you want to use, the the practical atheist, the atheist of today, if they would say that about the president, what do you think they think of you? Let me tell you what they think of you. They think you're an intolerant religious bigot, that you're a narrow-minded and you are wrong. 
And if they could wish you away, they would wish you away. And that's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. And let me tell you something. The one that is going to stick to the teachings of Jesus are the ones who are grounded on the Word of God. They know what they believe and why they believe it because they are students of the Word of God. That's the ones that are going to stand. And that's the ones that can help turn America around. Amen? Amen. I'm telling you, it's so true. He goes on and says this in verse 7, so that, Peter does, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result, and here's your song again, Donnie, in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. May my life Bring glory to your name. You sang this morning. And Peter says that that may praise and glory and honor the revelation at the end of time for Jesus Christ. And there, I love this. Look at this and it continues verse 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seen him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with an expressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen? So don't lose heart. But now, listen, now's the time for us to be serious, serious about our faith. Now's the time to put the petty stuff aside and get serious about our faith. Because we are ambassadors for Christ and we carry the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's be serious lifesavers. Serious lifesavers. And then John, Jesus goes on, John 8, 32, and says that wonderful verse, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will know truth, the person, because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You'll know Jesus, the truth, the person, and Jesus, the truth of his teaching, and in that, you will be set free. Okay? Which leads to what I entitled in verse 33, our Crisis, And this is when we see the evidence, what's going on here. Because this, this chapter 8 thing goes south. I mean, it goes, this is where it really starts snowballing, going south. And I, 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 I Wearsby, Wearsby was one guy who said, well, the we here does not include those who believed in him. But every other major commentary said, no, no, no. This included the ones who turned right around and said they believe in him. And then they challenge his teaching. And remember what was, the trade, what was the trademark, the hallmark of a true disciple? They follow, they remain in my teachings. And these people turn right around and challenge the teaching. He said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then in verse 33, but we, the same crowd, that crowd that's there, but we are descendants of Abraham, they said, and we've never been slaves to anyone. How do you mean we will be set free? See how they don't, they didn't understand, they don't understand, they believe but don't own? It's, by the way, it's kind of ironic. There's this little time of, that they spent in a place called Egypt. And these same people, uh, people of Israel, spent 400 years as slaves in Egypt, but we've never enslaved anyone. There's a small time period of 70 years when this same group of people were slaves in Babylon. And these very same people are living under Roman rule 
with an iron fist, and yet they say, we've never been slaves to anyone. See, that's the problem in America. America doesn't see the need. They don't understand they are slaves, not of a government, but of sin. But of sin. They don't see that. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. See, there's only two kinds of people. There are slaves to sin and those free in the family of God. Slaves of sin. See, America, Americans don't see. Americans see their prosperity. Americans see their, their imposed freedom of I can do whatever I want to do. They see that. They don't see themselves as slaves. But your Savior, your Savior, your Savior said, if you're not, listen, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. But a son is part of the family forever. Two kinds of people. Born and unborn. Lost and saved. Slaves to sin Freed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's, make that distinction. Understand that distinction as you journey through your life in America. Understand every person you face. Every person. You're out fishing. You're at the mall. You're at the bank. You're at school. There are two kinds of people wherever you go. There are those who are still slaves of sin waiting to be free. And there are those who have been freed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only two kinds. And the only answer to slavery and sin is Jesus Christ. Not religion, not church, but Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He says in verse 36, he closes up and says this. So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. If the Son sets you free, you're truly free. There are many people that you know who will tell you, yeah, you religious people, you're in bondage. This is a book of bondage. It binds you up. All it says, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. That's exactly the lie that Satan told Eve and Adam and she bought a hook, line, and sinker. We are not in bondage. We are free. And we are free by the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, Rick Warren sent out a devotion. I tagged part of it to include tonight to end the service with because it's really true. He says, he writes, the, word, the world defines freedom as a life without any restraint. I can do anything I want to do and say anything I want to say without anyone ordering me around. Everybody else may get burned by you But you get to do it your own way. The world says you can have your freedom, but only by being totally selfish. And then he says this. Real freedom is freedom from fear. Where you're truly free from guilt, worry, bitterness, and death. And then this is mine. And that freedom can only come from a personal relationship with Christ. Period. Let me close with this thought that just popped into my head. That's always a scary thing, I know. Be sure, as I said earlier, when we talk to someone about Christ, be sure you don't trade them slavery to sin for slavery to religion. 
That's a real danger. I used to see it on, on I was going to say Facebook, and it wasn't on Facebook. But I used to hear the phrase, I got religion. Well, bud, if all you guys religion, you just got a new master. It's all you got. We don't need religion. We need a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus is the answer. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, I sure thank you for this truth tonight. God, first off, I know I've got a special group of people in front of me tonight as those who have chosen to come out on a Sunday evening. And Father, what a special challenge we have received. Father, the truth is, and, and again, not meaning to judge, but the truth is perhaps many of these people be, would be the ones who would share their faith. So Father, as you give us opportunities to share our faith, would you help us to be crystal clear? Help that person to understand that they are sinners and that they are separated from God and there is nothing that they can do. Help us to make crystal clear that Jesus, the payment for sin, is death and that you died on the cross. And because you died, then you offer a wonderful gift of eternal life. Oh, help us to do that. Help us to, help us to help them understand the idea and concept, the truth, the theology, uh, the doctrine of repentance. That to turn to you, we must turn away from our sin. To turn to you, we must turn away from our sin. And then, Father, an area where I don't think we do too good at Dorsville, help us to be better disciples of truth. Help us to teach people. Help us to teach people more and more that they may grow in their faith and share their faith and multiply their faith in others. In Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.